Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello, and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, Larry has brought in a special guest, and that is Paul Merriman. Paul is a nationally recognized expert on mutual funds, indexed investing, buy and hold investment strategies, and asset allocation. He is the founder of Merriman Wealth Management, an investment advisory firm managing over $3 billion. Now retired, Paul is dedicated to educating investors. He is the author of seven books, including Financial Fitness Forever and Live It Up Without Outliving Your Money. He is a regular columnist on MarketWatch.com and produces a weekly podcast at PaulMerriman.com. Paul's website has over 400 articles and podcasts on asset class selection, asset allocation, mutual fund selection, and recommended mutual fund and exchange-traded funds or ETFs, portfolios for Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and TD Ameritrade. In 2012, he launched the Merriman Financial Education Foundation. That is a ton of stuff. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing great. I, I'm I'm actually tired listening to what I have to do. <laughs> I'm going to ask for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Thanks, Eric, for the introduction. You bet, Larry. Thanks for bringing him in. Yeah, I'm real excited, Paul. Thank you for the time. I know it's a little early on the uh, West Coast there for you, so I uh, appreciate you joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, so why don't we why don't we kind of just jump right into today's today's topic? So, you know, we're going to talk about the fifteen ways to make more money in your four hundred one k plan. We'll try to get to all fifteen of them in this podcast. If we don't, we'll post them all on our on our blog. So, uh, so why don't we just jump right in? So, Paul, why don't you start with what's the first way to make more money in your four hundred one k plan? Well, the 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 easiest way that I know is simply to start as early as possible because you give uh, you you have this amazing asset as a young person. You've got time, and that first five years is oh so important in terms of what you're going to end up with later in your life. I mean, literally, the first five years could mean an extra one and a half two million dollars even if you're just doing an IRA. So uh, you got to start as early as possible, even if it means asking mom and dad for a loan. I mean, that's a great, great idea because, you know, I, I have so many young people today, you know, they say, oh, I can't afford to put money away. I've got three basically entering the uh, the workforce. One is in the workforce and, you know, I, I'm very stringent on them that they've got to put something, you know, something away because the, the word compounding is a miracle in and of itself. And I guess that's what you're alluding to by how much you can uh, make by the time you retire. And, and Larry, I got to add, I was recently with my nine-year-old grandson and he was about, well, in fact, he was asking me to buy something that was going to cost $200. And I and I found him the same thing for about seventy five percent less, and I think it's about time he learned what the rule of seventy two is. And believe it or not, in five minutes he figured out the rule of seventy two. I mean, I worked him through it, and uh, and and realized how much more that money could do if it had 
if it had time to grow rather than to be in some depreciating thing that he wanted to buy. Right. And, you know, and I, I mentioned the workforce, but, you know, for those listeners out there, if you have a, you know, a child that's, that's still younger and working uh, and making, you know, I think now $6,000, you could set up a, 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 a Roth IRA for them, you know, earlier. You don't have to wait until they're out in the workforce. We, you know, we have clients, children of clients and some grandchildren, the, the grandparents have done that. They have to have a legit job and do something. So uh, so you can even start earlier than your 20s. Yeah. I just had a meeting with a, a couple of young kids, 13 and 15, and their parents, of course. And the parents were were matching what they were making. And they're, they're both, one of them had made $1,000 so far this year, the other $2,000 this year. And the parents were matching it, and the parents were so clever, they gave them each a card to show them what that money, just that money, will be worth when they're 65 years old. Uh, fingers crossed, of course, on the returns, but but yes, you can, you can do it. For, for In fact, I know a guy who pays his five-year-old son to mow the lawn. Yeah, great, you know, gr- great, great <laughs> ideas. <laughs> so, uh, so for all those of you out there listening, you can get your five-year-olds out there mowing, mowing the lawn. I think some of them may, may find that fun. <laughs> well, uh, and by the way, he wears a helmet. Just so you'll know that the parent is is not a, a, a not ha- using slave labor there. So, uh, so that's uh, you know reason number one. Let's move on into reason number two. Yeah. Save more, save more. And, and I think it should be almost a, an automatic strategy. Uh, if, if you even added 1% more, 2% more, 3% more each year, I'm working on a table right now that's going to go in a future article to show what over a lifetime it would mean to you if you simply started with an amount like the 6,000 that you mentioned, and you added one, two, or 3% a year more, literally even, even 1% can, can lead to an extra $800,000 that you're going to have to both spend and leave to others when you pass on. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a great suggestion. And we do some education meetings for 401k participants. And, you know, we try to tell them, you know, just to add, even if they add $10 a week or $15 a week, just to try it and they'll be fine. I said, if once you try it, if it doesn't work, it can go back. But it's amazing how, if you add a little bit more money to what you're putting away, they're able to do that. Um, in, in addition, you know, if they get a, if you're, get a salary increase, um, yep. a great time to increase the percentage you're putting away until you get to the max. Well, and if, if you had an automatic 3% a year increase, whatever happens, uh, as an absolute minimum, uh, the, the additional, I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's millions. Again, when I think in terms of millions, Larry, I'm thinking about not just what they have to spend in retirement, but what they leave to those who survive. Because as far as I'm concerned, when people ask me, how have you done with your investments? I tell them I have no idea because I won't know until I die. Because <laughs> the, what we really, the real return on all of our investments, it's what we take out to live on. 
and what we leave to children or causes or friends, whatever. That's how I look at the return on investments. Great thoughts there. So let's go to uh, to reason number three, Paul. What's the third reason, third way to make more money in your 401k plan? Well, uh, I think that uh, everybody, if they can, should use the Roth. I don't even consider it a tax uh, decision. I know that they'll say, well, if your tax rate is lower in retirement than it is now, then then don't do don't do a Roth. But I say. Number one, we have no idea what our tax rate is going to be when we retire. When I came into this industry, it's unbelievable, but the marginal tax rate for, I think it was around $100,000, was 90%. And then a couple of years, it was 70%. So we may be, when we are reaching retirement, in an environment of very high taxes. So if that's the case, won't it be wonderful if you will have taken the stand to not get a refund? Because that's the real impact of a Roth IRA. We do not get a refund, a tax refund. But what do we do with that tax refund? Most of us take it and go out and have some fun with it. Now, I'm not opposed to fun, but I keep remembering that This money we're talking about is either fun now or fun later. I was one of those fun later guys, and boy, did that pay big rewards for me because I I was frugal frugal early, and now I am not frugal. And, And so I say do the Roth because it forces you, in essence, to save more money. And then as an estate planning tool, it's one of the best, I think, that we can have for our kids uh, and, and, and other family members is to leave that Roth IRA to others where it might hopefully be tax-free distributions. So I think the Roth is a huge thing. And if your 401k does not have a Roth uh, a choice, I would be banging on the door of those uh, trustees and say, come on, come on, let's, let's, let's give us what we really deserve. Now, that's a great point. And I think if you don't have it, you may see plans adding that in, in light of the, 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 the House passing the SECURE Act. And we'll have a, a future podcast on, on the law once the Senate and once it's signed by the president. But right now, it's looking like stretch IRAs are, are, are not going to be a, a allowed for more than a, uh, maybe 10 years. So, uh, so having a Roth is even going to be of more, more importance down the road. Right on. So, uh, so let's, t- let's talk a little bit ab- about uh, reason number four. You know, there's something about bending over and picking up money off the ground that I, I, I find an interesting decision. Now, how much money does there have to be to bend over and pick it up? And I've talked to people of my age who wouldn't bend over and pick up a buck, but they'd certainly bend over and pick up a hundred or fifty. And as far as I'm concerned, the one free money, the bending over and pick it up that all of us should do is to take advantage of the company match. And and I know, I know that people are gonna say, Well, I can't afford it, I don't have the money. Look, if you had a pension like the old days, what would be happening would be you would get a paycheck that didn't include money that they put away for you into a pension. But the fact is today they give you that money instead 
But if you don't put it away, then you're not going to have what all of us would have liked to have had, and that is a check a month coming guaranteed for the rest of our life. So you have to pretend that that money that comes in would, and, and certainly to the company match, would be put away to make sure that absolute minimum is growing. Because when you look at what a hundred dollars, just another hundred dollars for every hundred dollars that you can put away a year, that can be worth $4,500 later in life. I'm sorry, that would be $45,000 later in life. And if you are, that's, that's at 10%. If you're able to get 12% and that's not impossible, it would be worth about $75,000 for every extra $100 that you can put away. You know, you, you mentioned something about uh, you know the free the free money there and, and bending over. We've actually gone into a uh, education meeting and I, we we brought a hundred dollar bills and put them on the table, and we actually said to the to, to the participants, "Well, if that's free, there would you take it?" And of course, everyone said yes. And then we explained to them, "Well, each one of you is not maximizing your match." So trying to get them to understand that it's that it's free, you know, it's free money. And, and by the way, Larry, I sometimes wonder what is the psychological challenge there? Are, are they afraid that if they put their money into an investment that goes down, that they will have missed an opportunity to enjoy that money? And 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 I and I do know I do know there are a lot of young people that the only thing they trust in the world is cash. I've I've read that some 30 plus percent of millennials think cash is where you're supposed to put your long-term money. And so maybe these people need to be uh, educated that the market and investments in equities, mutual funds, broadly diversified, and all those things that you and I believe in are for real and are highly, highly, highly likely to pay off big time in the long run. If they believe that, maybe they would bend over. Well, I, I, you know, uh, we talk about the, you know, the importance of, you know, equities, and well, I guess you have those in some of your future reasons here. I think the free money, believe it or not, has to more do with the younger people. A lot of live, live paycheck to paycheck, and they don't want to give up something, you know. And you know, we try to say, hey, can you, if you gave up one cup of coffee a, a, a day, you know, could mm-hmm. you do that? And trying to get them to understand that they can live with a little bit less and they'll benefit so much more by, by, getting, the free mo- by getting the free money. So, well, uh, and, I, and I also think, and by the way, I heard a report yesterday on NPR about the sales of uh, energy drinks. I don't know anything about energy drinks, but, uh, except I drink some coffee. But, but, the, but I, I heard people being uh, interviewed who, who drink those things three, four, five times a day. And I'm thinking, my God, there goes your, there goes your retirement. And, and so uh, somehow we have to convince people that saving is about spending. Saving is 100% about spending, but it's not about spending now. It's about spending later, but it is still 100% about spending. Absolutely. 
Let's move on to reason number five. This is where you talk a little bit about, you know, investing and strategy. So why don't you give us, you know, reason number five? Well, uh, I want to talk about an asset class that from everything that we know, and I'm talking about what I've learned from academics, not what I've learned from Wall Street, there are some asset classes that do better over the long run. And they don't do better because they are, uh, that there's something special about them. There's some black magic about them that people can't identify. They do better because they're more risky. And we know stocks are more risky than bonds. We know big stocks are less risky than small stocks. We know stocks of companies that are out of favor are more risky than companies that are in favor. But what all the academic research tells us is these smaller companies that are out of favor as a group, never one at a time, but as a group have produced the best long-term return of all of the asset, major asset classes that we might put in a portfolio. So I'm thinking about young people. I'm thinking about people who have 40 years on their side And even if these particular uh, asset classes don't do as well as they did in the past, even if they did 25% less, they would still make a 12% compound rate of return. So to me, that's the small cap value. I want some in every young person's portfolio. You you mentioned the the key words long-term in 40 years. And it's hard to get, you know, young people, older people now with, you know, with computers and logging on. Paul, you and I probably remember when we first started investing, <laughs> the only way to, to, to figure out what your portfolio was worth, you had to wait to the next day and open up the paper. So, uh, so you weren't bombarded with short-term, you know, returns or short-term losses and trying to get anyone to to think longer term with these asset classes you know is it is a challenge uh, but the reward will pay off well I, I certainly believe so in all the history if we look if we look at the 40 average 40 year returns of the s p 500 which would be the <laughs> lowest risk uh, equity <laughs> asset class that we would normally use, uh, that asset class, the worst 40 years, was a compound rate of return of 8.9%. The best 40 years was a compound rate of return of 125 I don't see any, not one losing 40-year period. So, so I think people need to understand that the odds are definitely in their favor if they can put that money away in equities for the long term and hold their nose, ignore the day-to-day stuff. Day-to-day activity is for people who are not investors. They are speculators. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead to, you know, to reason number seven, because we're talking about, you know, talking about that. And, and you have here is reason number seven, don't be too conservative. So that, I guess that's what we were just talking about, you know, about. Well, here's, here's the problem. It, it, because, because we think that we want to have some sort of way of protecting against the bad times, young people, and I'm thinking mostly young people on this comment, 
people, young people will say, yeah, I want some bonds in my portfolio. So if things go down, I've got some protection. Even major target date funds put 10% in bonds in, in a 21-year-old's portfolio. Are they, I mean, that, that's ridiculous because here's the reality. When the market goes down, we have an opportunity to buy more shares at lower prices. It is not a penalty. It is a it, it is an, a reward for having done the right thing. We're not investing in X, uh, uh, Enron or Washington Mutual here. We're talking about investing in index funds, most of us, uh, in our retirement accounts. And so what are the odds that those things are going to go broke? They can't go broke because they include, well, the company, the country could go broke, I guess. But theoretically, the long-term risk is extremely low, and the reward is so high. If I could just share a couple, I love numbers, but here is $100 put into the S&P 500 grows to almost $500,000 in over 91 years. In bonds, it grows to around twelve hundred. I'm sorry, twelve thousand dollars, five hundred thousand versus twelve thousand. I mean, which would you pick for the long term? Well, we know what it is, and if you can get those companies on sale, again, you're bending over and picking up free money in the long run. If you can train yourself to hold your nose and just keep dollar cost averaging. Yeah, I mean that those are powerful numbers for anybody that's uh, that's listening out there. Um, and even if you're even if you're not in your your twenties, you know, people that are you know older or even closer to retirement, people are living longer these days. So uh, so you know so to outpace inflation and to have some growth, you still need to ha- you know to, not to be overly conservative, even in your fifties and sixties. Well, yeah, and inflation is probably the biggest risk that young people face because. It's a guaranteed bear market if you don't do something about it. So, so yeah, inflation is huge. And the problem is, is people don't even think about it because it's something that they don't, they don't really consider what it's doing to their future. But I tell the high school kids I teach, I ask them what a, a piece of bubble gum costs these days, and then they'll tell me a, a dime or a quarter or whatever it is, and then I wig out and I say, I can't believe it because when I was your age, it was a penny. Well, I ask them, what do you think a piece of bubble gum will cost at 3% inflation, which many of us think that's kind of the long-term average, at 3% inflation, what will it cost for a five-cent piece of bubble gum? And I get guesses that start around $100 and eventually get up to 1000 but it's $2.3 trillion billion. That is the impact of inflation over time. Now, we're not going to live for 2,000 years, but it doesn't change the fact that if it's going to cost you two, three, four, five times what it's costing you now to, 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 to retire because of inflation, that has got to be defended against, and equities are the great defender against, uh, against inflation, not fixed income. Mm. Um, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about another one of your uh, ways to make, make more money. So you, you say equities, but you also say that, that you should diversify in your asset classes. What do you mean by that? 
Well, I think that there are a, a lot of really great asset classes. And then when I say asset classes, I'm talking like the S&P 500, basically 500 both both growth and value companies combined into one group, but they're large companies. Then there are indexes of small companies that are growth and small companies that are value. There are real estate investment trusts that that are mutual funds that have a, a very fine track record. And, and then you can go internationally and get some of these very similar asset classes there as well. When you put together a portfolio, and do it right. You're going to have somewhere between 8,000 and 12,000 companies if you use this broad range of asset classes. And the reason I want you to own lots of them is because you can't depend necessarily on any one of them to give you the best results. I'll just give you one quick example. The S&P 500 from 1975 to 1999 compounded at over 17% a year. And people who were interviewed and surveyed late 1999, early 2000, believed that for the next decade, the S&P 500 should compound at somewhere between 20 and 30%. Well, you and I know they (laughs) they were really wrong because over that 10-year period, the S&P 500 lost compounded 1% a year. Now, what if you had a portfolio that included large companies along with small and value along with growth and U.S. along with uh, internationals, even a little slice of emerging markets? You would have compounded that part of your portfolio between 7 and 9%. And so that is the kind of thing that gets people off track if any one thing they own is really not meeting their needs. Whereas if you have many asset classes, then you have the chance to participate in a lot of great asset asset classes that might not have performed as well as the S&P 500 when it was making 17% a year. But that's what diversification is about. Of course, I'm 75. I'm not all in equities. I'm half in equities because I can't take a 50% loss, which is which is what goes along with owning an all equity portfolio. Okay for young people, but not for old people. So each one of us, depending on our age and financial state, have to consider how much defense do we want. But I don't think young people should have anything defensive, I'm talking bonds, in their portfolio before they're 35 or 40 years old. Yeah, you do, you do mention that even yourself at this stage have 50% in equities. That's what we were talking about before. The one other thing that I like to also you know, advise people is that even if you do have a diversified portfolio, every so often it's good to rebalance, you know, to, to, to sell some of the ones that have done well and buy some of the classes that are at least out of, out of favor and not just to leave it, leave it alone for 40 years. You, you know, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, for one thing, 
particularly in the balance of fixed income and equity, if you don't rebalance as you get older and your risk tolerance should be theoretically going down, you're actually taking more risk if you don't rebalance. So yeah, I think it's important particularly to rebalance between the uh, equity and fixed income. I'm not so hung up on it uh, amongst the different uh, uh, equity asset classes. I do it. I do it, uh, but 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 I don't think it's as important as that fixed income equity balance. Absolutely. Let's see if we can get to a couple more of these, and if we don't finish all fifteen, they'll be on our blog, or you or you can actually go into Paul's website, which we'll mention at the end of the podcast to get the article. So, Paul, why don't you give us you know one or two more that you think are important for our audience to know? Well, I think the most important one that I have to share is that uh, of all the investments that I know about that have been created uh, since uh, the tw- 1920s when the first mutual fund was built, uh, 1924, uh, the, the most important and the most impactful and the best product is a target date fund. Now, I don't mean every target date fund is the best. Some of them have high expenses. Some of them have high turnover. There are lots of problems with some of them. But if you're buying, investing in the best of them, a target date fund does what almost every, almost every investor wants. It it, it makes a decision just as if that target date fund was your pension fund. They know how old you are approximately because a target date fund is built for one for people who want to retire in 2060, another in 2055, another in 2050. So you pick one of these target date funds that go along, correspond when the when it's about the time you want to retire and they take over and they start putting what they consider to be the appropriate amount of equity, the appropriate amount of fixed income. They put the appropriate amount of U.S. and international. Now, by the way, they have very different ideas, so not everyone is alike. But the bottom line is they are going to take care of your money for you for the rest of your life. And for I, I just recently spoke to retiring seniors at the university where I, I have a class, and 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 uh, I asked there were about 150 of these uh, students who uh, were graduating, and um, and I asked how many of you want to participate in picking the things that go into your portfolio, and only two out of 150 wanted to do it themselves. The rest of them wanted somebody else to do it. And the target date fund is absolutely the ideal answer for those young people. And it amazes me how few young people understand what a target date fund is. And so I'm spending a lot of time and effort educating young people about the target date fund. I'm spending a lot of time working with young people to make sure they understand the power of the target date fund. Uh, and it's not just young people, you know, uh, you know, older people too. Uh, we, uh, we find that most participants would like to have somebody else sol- select that, whether it's a model portfolio or a target date fund, they don't want to be making their own, own selections. So, uh, so, that, you know, that leads us to, you know, I'm gonna, let's cover one more because not every 401k plan 
unfortunately, is a good has good investments in it. They may be limited to the amount of investments that they have. So one of your ways to make more money, I find interesting that you say, you know, coordinate with your spouse's 401k investment options. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, check it, check it out. It may be that, that your, let's say your spouse is more conservative and doesn't have any money in much, in, men, in many equities in the, in their account. Uh, wh- whereas you're more aggressive, but it turns out that her plan has some small cap value. Her plan has some REITs and things that are available there that are not available in your 401k plan. So you work together as a team. You got to appreciate that, that, that one person may want more fixed income. Okay, fine. Let them have more fixed income, but do it where the fixed income is the best and do the equity where it is the best. Now, maybe people don't want to do that because they, I'll, I'll do this myself, mother kind of a feeling, but you can, you can do better oftentimes if you combine efforts and get at the best asset classes. And I got to say, the other thing that I want people to do is to rise up and talk to your trustees about the, the, the mutual funds that are being offered. I find many, many big plans still don't have access to index funds for their employees. How much can they care about their employees if they don't care enough to give the very best? And Paul, these are all great ideas and great ways to make more money in your 401k plan. I think we covered about 10 out of the 15. Um, we'll list the other five in our blog. Um, and, um, uh, you know, Paul, thank you so much for thank being you. our guest. You can check out Paul on his website, paulmerriman.com. That's uh, Paul, P A. A-U-L-M-E-R-R-I-M-A-N.com. And on his website, he has numerous articles and great podcasts. And he does have an article which will show all 15 of the ways to make more money in your 401k plan. So again, Paul, thanks for getting up early and joining us for today's podcast. It's been a pleasure, Larry. Thank you. And Paul, I want to thank you too. I know that you've been in the business a couple of years and uh, <laughs> sharing quite a bit today uh, with our audience. And, and it's, it was a, a pleasure meeting you. And I anytime. To- nice to meet you too, Eric. And, right. and anytime I can help you guys, whether it's on the show or any other way, you give me a call. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sounds good. So- Very good. Right. Thank you, gentlemen. Good luck to you. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, right. Paul. And thank you for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.